Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast with The Athletic. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is The Athletic's Fulham correspondent, Mr. Peter Rutzler. Peter, how are you doing, mate? I'm all right, thanks, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. A little bit of respite from Fulham this week as we hit an international break. But thought it was a good time for, for the two of us to sit down and maybe have a little talk about the season so far, how it's gone, how we see things going in the in the future and in the next kind of period and, and what we've what we've achieved. So I guess the kind of basics as as we look at it, Fulham sits 17th in the table after eight games, four points. We've won one, drawn one, lost six. Scored seven, conceded 15 and have four points. Now, it doesn't sound great, but that said, and then maybe the most important statistic of the lot there was that we sit 17 outside the relegation zone. And maybe it hasn't been as bad a start as, as we potentially imagined it might be. Yeah, stop the count. Um, we'll definitely take 17th, I think. I, you know, I think the start of the season has been a weird one, hasn't it? It's, it's been very odd for so many different reasons. Um, but... I just, you know, it, it has felt progressive. And I know we, we've spoken about that in the last couple of pods as well, but it has always felt like it's moving in the right sort of direction. Uh, obviously, there's two sides to it. You know, only four points on the board is, is kind of a concern at this point with the fixtures that have played and, and who's still to come. But but I think on balance, looking at not just in terms of results, but performances, the players who've come back into the fold, have the new guys have done as well. I think on balance, it's 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 relatively positive. Uh, of course, we'll see how the picture changes, but at this point, I'm, I'd be I'd be very happy. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you look back to those those first games, and especially the three 0 loss at home to Arsenal, where we were really weak, and, and the Villa game, where you know we were pretty much done and dusted in the first half, and then you look at the last two performances against West Brom and West Ham. And there have to be positives in that because the way this side is set up now and the way that we're competing is a completely different side. I mean, in personnel as well as in you know tactical levels that, than it was at the very early points of this season. And maybe that's to do with the fact that it was such a short turnaround. You know, obviously 35 days pretty much between the playoff final and the first game of this season. But also the fact that the transfer window is now shut, the squad has finally settled down and and it seems to be moving in a, in a direction that we think is positive. I think for me, it's, I think you sort of touched on it there. It's almost split in two in a way. You know, at the start, it was, it just didn't, I think the big concern was that it didn't feel like Fulham were competing in games. You know, games were done very quickly, goals conceded early. Um, you didn't, you, concern, you were really concerned about the defensive side of things again. And uh, it just, it, it felt like, not as though it was spiralling out of control, but it just, all the all of, you know, the worst fears you'd have about the team coming back into the Premier League were sort of manifesting themselves. But I think what's what's been, what's been impressive is that those sort of fires have been put down a little bit, put out um, by, by, you know, the new players coming in, by them bedding in quite quickly and easily. Uh, and then, and then the performances themselves. And West Ham last week, you know, it's, it was a really positive performance for, what, 90-odd minutes? Uh, and then two moments which you can't really, really oh, explain. Yeah. You know, there's the offside, which, you know, in my book is, is offside. Um, the, the Premier League said, pointed out it was a, a subjective decision, but, you know, Haller was offside for me. Anderson doesn't need to compete for that header if he's not there. 
uh, and then the penalty, um, which is it's been poured over, no doubt, for for the last week. And you're looking at a really impressive point there at West Ham and another very solid away performance um, where the team are competing. You know, they're going to toe to toe with these teams now. Um, West Brom was great, but you know that's that was against West Brom, who looked to be one of the worst teams in the division at the moment, uh, especially defensively. Um, but those sort of building blocks have, have developed and, and now the team are competing against teams. And that's pretty critical because when you're playing, what, Everton, Liverpool City are coming, Leicester, you know, those are going to be hard games. Um, and if you're you're in a mindset where you're not really competing with, you know, mid-table uh, Premier League teams, then you're going to struggle. So, yeah, I, I, it's, it's going in the right direction, I think. Yeah, I don't want to pour over the West Ham result because it's been done and mm. and you know done to death. I think in, in in many ways, and you know obviously there's talk about how that affects the squad going into an international break if it, if it plays on everyone's minds. It's, if it's one of those things, I think it's more you know that performance as you say was was impressive and and now we look at this run of fixtures coming up and you look at Everton, Leicester, City, Liverpool next four. And that's on paper an absolute desolation. You know that is that's a very very difficult run of results for for Fulham to to be trying to get anything out of, and and then you get to Brighton on on the fifteenth. And I kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on both of these things because one, you know, this is a run now where Fulham yes have to compete, but our performance is now as important as anything else in this in this period. And two. You know, we're starting to see the bottom of the Premier League become its own mini league already, I think. You know, Brighton on six points, although they've played well and maybe that is is slightly harsh on, on how well they've played thus far. Then Fulham, West Brom, Burnley and Sheffield United. The other seat I'd potentially drop into here are, are Newcastle, who have 11 points so far, but I think have, have overperformed themselves in terms of actual performances. And... Do you think this is how it's going to end up? Do you think it's going to be a mini league at the bottom where one of one of four or two of five teams end up surviving and it's going to be, that's that's what it's going to be, a scrap to the very end? I think so. Um, Scott Parker himself actually said that, that he sees it as being a mini league down there and as much as he'd want to finish in the, the top 10 or seventh, you know, with the realistic hat on, it's those teams down the bottom and trying to finish at the top of that league. Um, the teams you mentioned, absolutely. Um I can imagine that uh, Sheffield United and or Burnley can can pull away. Burnley always seem to have that in their locker. This year, it does feel a bit different for them. You know, there's the, you know, the lack of investment in the transfer market. There's, you know, ongoing talks about a takeover. Um, they're a team that don't look like they're in the same position as they have been over the past few years under Sean Dyche. And you can't underestimate them because of Sean Dyche and, and what he's done there. But, you know, they're in a quite tricky position. So I think they are firmly involved in that, that mini league. Sheffield United, you know, they've started so poorly. Um, you know, I think they probably fall into that second season syndrome a little bit. It's just trying to find that same impact and emphasis that comes with promotion. Um, so when you're looking at those teams, yeah, I'd put Brighton in there and I agree on Newcastle too. Um, they have overperformed a little bit. The one thing you'd say about Newcastle is the players they did bring in have got that Premier League quality. Now, of course, you know, as I know from, from covering Bournemouth last year, you know, Callum Wilson and, and, and Ryan Fraser oversaw a relegation. So um, anything can happen in that sense. And, you know, I, I don't want to throw Leeds United in there, but because of the way they play and the way they can compete with any team, but it's a long season. And, and you know, uh, as teams become more accustomed to the way they play, you never know what could happen with them. So, yeah, they've think, been known to burn out as well. Well, exactly. Um, there, there always seems to be sort of 
fragile margins with 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 Bielsa. So um, we'll see how that sort of develops. But I think you know you look at the games they've played, you know, especially against City and, and Liverpool and the way they competed, you wouldn't think they'd have those issues. But but when you come against you know Fulham themselves found found Palace an immovable object and and so did Leeds. So um, I, I certainly think that's that that is sort of the mini league. Those are the the, the teams they need to be picking up points against. I guess when you go back to the fixtures, you know, the fixtures Fulham have now are really tough games. Um, these are the games where, you know, if you, I remember we we would have talked about it at the start of the season when you broke the broke the fixtures down when they came out and you go, look, you've got to get your points on the board by this point. You've got to be in a position where you can stomach a few blows uh, after this international break. And I wouldn't say Fulham are in that position. I think, you know, that it's going to be, a real, it'll be really interesting to see how the sort of atmosphere sort of changes during this run. I don't think it should become overly negative because of the positives we've seen, um, but it, it, it will get a bit sticky. Um, but the, the other thing to, to, to mention is we don't really know how Fulham are going to play against these big teams. I mean, the Arsenal game, for one, it was the opening day of the season. It's a team that now looks very different. Um, Fulham's team looks very different to the one that took the, took to the field that day. Um, how will they cope? How will they change their playing style? Um, these are questions I'm really interested to see and, and see how the team adapt. And one thing that does seem to bode well is that Parker is using these international breaks quite well. He's spoken about that specifically, but we sort of saw that reaction after the last one, where he's actually got some time to work on things. As we said before, you know that that quick turnaround was so so difficult. But actually having that time now to work on things and actually having a separation between games that you're probably going to see more of the ball of and then games where you're not going to see more of the ball of is actually, you know, that could well be a, a, a benefit. Yeah. Also, like it starts with Everton, right? Everton obviously had a, a brilliant start to the season and and really did kick on and everyone was talking about them as potentially title winners and it all got a bit out of hand and then they've come crashing back down to earth a little bit in the last couple of weeks. 2-0 loss to Southampton, 2-1 loss to Newcastle and a 3-1 loss to Manchester United. Now, you know, I'm not saying that Fulham are the same as those sides, especially high-flying Southampton. But, you know, I think this is something that Everton can be got at because they've conceded in every game this season, aside from the first game against Tottenham, which was a bit of a, a bore fest, if anything. Um, and, and there is kind of cracks in this armour, I think we've seen recently. You know, especially, they, well, they'll have Richarlison back. Luca Dean will be back. You'd imagine James Rodriguez will be back to full fitness, which are obviously bad news for Fulham as, as they go. But... There's definitely signs that this Everton side aren't impregnable. And I think there is kind of a, especially with them on the run that they're on at the moment, you know, a chance that Fulham can go into this and be like, yeah, we can get something out of this game. Yeah, the pressure's on them. The pressure changes. Um, I think you're right. I think, I think, you know, missing Richarlison, not having Hammers uh, at his best in those last couple of games is, has been pretty important for them. They do seem to have quite a light squad um, and that seems to have counted against them a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see how teams come out of this international break. You know, there's a lot of international games condensed into a really short amount of time. Um, COVID cases popping up all over the place. I saw today there was one, I think Luka Milivojevic just picked one up for Serbia. Um, yeah. The rest of the squad have tested fine, so that's okay on a Mitrovic perspective, but it just shows that anything can happen over these next, uh, what, 10 days or so. So, um, yeah, I think it's a game that Fulham will feel they can get at Everton, um, considering the way they played in those recent games. Um, and I think of the games that are coming up, it's probably the more favourable one. And then, like, you know, before we get to Brighton, that is, you know, Leicester look very good now. They look to be in the 
the form they were at the start of last season, um, Man City and then Liverpool after that. So maybe of the four really tough games, Everton is is the is the one we'll look at. Um, and then, you know, I think getting anything from these four games is a bonus at this point. Um, and then just going into Brighton with a, with a positive mindset. Yeah, and, and I was going to come on to this, but is, is this about performance as much as it is about results here? Because we're looking at, you know, maybe Everton aside, City, Liverpool, Leicester, who are, are probably still the three sides that I think are, are favourites for the title. Maybe Tottenham would have something to say about that. But, but those are the three sides that I've got earmarked. If anyone's going to do it, they're going to do it. And, you know, we're not expecting to get results out of them. What you're expecting, I think, is is for Fulham to stand up and, and be competitive and to actually, you know, try. And, and we saw in games against these sides, you know, the last out time round, you know, we went to Man City and we were 1-0 down within three minutes and the game was done and dusted. You know, as soon as City scored against Fulham, you know, early doors, the game was over. That was that was as much as it was going to happen. You know, we, we weren't going to survive an onslaught for, for 90 minutes. But if we'd caught one on the break and suddenly put the, the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit, maybe you'd have think, OK, maybe players can, can do a little bit more than we expected here. But that said, and that aside, are we looking at these games of being like, right, you know, stand up and be ready for that Brighton game and, and, and make sure that you give a good account of yourselves and it's not Fulham or a laughing stock in the Premier League again? Yeah, I think it is that sort of management. Um, you know, the whole way through Park has been talking about knowing that we'll lose games and trying to talk about the narrative and, you know, almost say, we know what this is, we know it's there and everyone's going to say the same things. But at the same time, there's there's a feeling of just trying to push against that. You know, we, we try and not give that any fuel. And, and these next games, if they can be competitive in them, if they can avoid those, as you say, those results that can... That do stand out and that can be a bit more seen as embarrassing, and then you know that does put you in a really in really good stead for for Brighton. But I think you're right; it's definitely performance and also the way they set up. I'm really intrigued by it. I know I said it earlier, but I'm intrigued to see how Fulham adapt at this point. Will they be be able to spring teams on the break in the same way? I think against Sheffield United in the second half, we did see that. You know, they sort of sat much more solid in their their defensive shape. And we're breaking through the lines very quickly. And there are players in the team who can do that. You know, it's one of the assets of, of Frank Anguissa. And when he breaks, he can break with the ball very fast. Lukman can can thrive in that sort of space. Um, and then Mitrovic as well as 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 a figurehead to to go go more direct. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, and if they, you know, if Fulham can find a way to to be solid to to really shut these teams out, then then maybe maybe they'll come away from with something. But yeah, as we were saying, it's definitely about getting to Brighton with, you know, your head still held high. In terms of the lineups and, and how they might set up, we looked at Sheffield United, we looked at Wolves and we played that three at the back system that allowed kind of Robinson and Aina to to get wider and, and to really start to to kick on a little bit, perhaps a bit more. And do you think do you think there's kind of an element of that in this? Do we think we're going to see wing backs? We've seen the pace of Robinson. We've seen what Anguis uh, Olaina can do going down that flank. You know, are we expecting to see that they might bring another centre back in here and and try and try and spring that break with three at the back, or do you think Scott will stick to what's worked in the last couple of games? It's a really interesting point that I think with the Wolves and Sheffield United game, it was almost a case of stopping their systems, their back three systems. So by having essentially two wing-backs on one side, two full-backs. So I think against Wolves, it's Robinson who sort of tucked in and yeah. O'Brien was left winger, wasn't he? So he tucked back in a little bit deeper. And then Sheffield United, it was Cavalero doing that role. 
which didn't really suit him as well, but he, I thought he did okay. Um, he works hard, Cav. He, yeah, you know, exactly. He, he's not set out quite for that role, but he, he does do his defensive duties. For all, for all his faults, his defensive work rate's pretty high. So now we're looking at it and you, you're looking at the players available. Um, and there's a lot more options in there. You know, you've still got Michael Hector and, and Tim Ring can come into the back line. Um, in terms of wing backs, you know, you think about Olerena and, and Anthony Robinson or, or Joe Bryan, if he comes in, um, they're wing backs, they're proper wing backs, you know, especially Robinson. He covers so much ground, you know, the, the heat match you see after games is just the whole of the left side is hit. Um, that's a real asset. That's a real asset, especially if you want to play a system in that way. Um, but then, of course, if you if you do play an extra defender, you take someone out from midfield and that's already a really, really highly contested area of the field. Uh, as we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know if he will switch to, to a five. I, I'd be surprised if he did it against Everton. I feel like the midfield would be, packing the midfield might be more important, uh, at home especially. Um, but in terms of personnel, the, the personnel are there to to set up in that shape. Uh, I think when, you know, the, the, the last time we had three central defenders, it was clearly three central defenders, um, was the Villa game and, uh, and and that didn't work out at all very well. I think Dennis Adoy had a really poor game uh, yeah. by you know by his by his standards, and I'm sure he'd say the same. So um, that's not to write off the system. I think it can work, and I think it's quite clearly something that they have considered. So um, maybe it's something we'll, we'll we'll see come come back. Well, after the break, we're going to talk about that midfield a little bit more, Peter, and about how everyone basically fits into it. But I mean, I just kind of get an overall summary of, of how we think it is. Eight eight games in, you know, you've seen teams in, in similar positions. You've seen uh, with Bournemouth, the team in a relegation scrap. And and you see the state of the league as it is with, with the teams around us and the teams that look like they're struggling a little bit. I just kind of ask you for your general thought on, on how things are going so far. Yeah, I think... So I think in the first couple of games, I was very worried. I think everyone was very worried. But I think the the complexion's changed a fair bit. I feel like the league is very open this year. I feel like at the bottom, it's becoming quite clear who's going to be there. Um, and a bit like last year where teams just weren't picking up points and it was, but the gaps were never growing. And as long as that stays the same, you know, Fulham are in a good position. I think in terms of performances, they have been really good. And I know... But you don't want to over-reg it too much because of the fixtures and, and the fact they've only got what, four points on the board. But the points, performances have been good and that bodes well. That's the underlying you know, symbol of what's going wrong. I remember covering Bournemouth last year. It was about November time. Obviously, the season, you know, the number of games played is slightly different. But it was about that time where you started to realise, hang on a minute, this isn't, this isn't going well, well at all. And there were already performance markers from, I think, in October, they didn't score a goal you think actually that this could be quite serious now um I don't think we're there with, with Fulham at all and I you know I had a look at the the stats before before we came on to came on the pod and you know, they're actually pretty good you know the the, the one big concerning one is the, the expected goals against so the quality of chances they're conceding you know that's I think that's the second worst in the division for Fulham um but everything else is is really good um most crosses in the league, and it's not like they're just pumping them into the box. The accuracy is pretty good. I think it's seventh according to the latest Opta numbers. Um, expected goals, it, the chances for them are creating is eighth um, in the division. Um, passing actually in the final third is, is the sixth best, and you're only looking at Everton, Liverpool, Arsenal, City ahead of them in that matter. Um, passing accuracy, 
in the into the final third is actually the best in the division and the one that's... yeah i was going to bring this up because we've seen so much of parker's ball be static be slow be kind of passing around the midfield with with no real purpose and and for that statistic you know accuracy and balls into the final third to be so high um, I, I think we're starting to see that change at Fulham and starting to see a side that does want to go forward a little bit more. And and perhaps it ties in with the you know redeployment of, of Tom Kearney back into his natural role. But it's one of those things that you look at and you think, OK, fine, we're going forward. We're putting chances in. Maybe, you know, we're not creating the best chances in the league. And I think we'd be mad to suggest we are. But we are putting the ball into areas where we can be dangerous. It's now a question of getting people into those areas and, and, and taking more shots because we really don't take very many. No, exactly that. I, I, you know, as much as you know, Fulham are getting into good areas. Um, they're putting the ball into the box. They're they're in the they're, and they're moving the ball well, which is such a difficult thing to do to retain the ball in those areas and to play it into those areas so effectively. You know, the teams behind Fulham in terms of passing actually aren't. It's not. It's not an eclectic mix of teams here. It's it's Chelsea, City, Liverpool, United. So you know, this this is a good stat. You know, that's it is very impressive numbers, but. Visibly watching Fulham, you can see that they don't quite, they haven't quite had the bite that you'd probably want in games. Actually taking shots at goal, I think that was a problem against West Ham. Never, only I think Bobby Reid had a great chance that he made himself. But apart from that, you, you didn't have too many opportunities where you're actually testing the goalkeeper. Um, and may, maybe it's a case, for, you know, Tom Kearney can certainly hit them, but you've got to be in the right positions. And I think that's one thing, you know, they, you want to work the right areas. And I think that's kind of a key tenant of the way. Parker wants to play. He's, he's not going to allow too many pop shots, but by the same token, he's come out and said he wants his team to take more risks. So, yeah, um, yeah I think so. Uh, but I think in just in general terms, you know, the the, the, the building blocks are there. You know, the, the the performance markers are pretty good. Um, defensively, yeah, you can work on it, and I think there's still there's still room there to grow and, and to to be tighter at the back. We've seen how important Alphonse Areola's been, and that's that's indicative of of you know. Of, of the way games have gone as well. So, but in general, in terms of an overall summary, it's definitely got better. And in terms of the way they want to play, there's a clear identity, there's a structure. And if you can just add some, some, some more results and maybe a couple of shock ones as well in the next few games, then things look a lot, lot better. Aye, the clouds indeed have silver lining. Right after the <laughs> break, we're going to be talking about the midfield puzzle and how you solve a problem like Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast and me, Jack Collins and Mr. Peter Rutzler, where we're looking at Fulham's midfield problem now. And well, I say problem, Peter, it's not really a problem. It's a, a case of having too many excellent players in some regards. And, and that's maybe a, a good thing in some places. But we're looking at trying to fit in players and especially with Mario Lamina in that first half against West Brom dictating from that number six role. We've got him and Harrison Reed competing at the base. Tom Kearney and, and Anguissa at the moment look completely undroppable. And then there's Ruben Loftus-Cheek sitting on the bench. And he must be thinking, hang on, I came here to get game time. And and I'm being kept out of the side by three quite excellent footballers. And I was just kind of wondering what, what you thought about his predicament in many ways. I know Parker's talked about it and said about it's going to be a long season and there's going to be room for everyone to, to show their quality and show their worth. And I'm sure that Ruben will be a big part of things going forward. But... But right now, I'm struggling to see where he fits into the side. Yeah, it's an interesting one with, with Loftus-Cheek, isn't it? Where does he actually fit in? And where does not just where does he fit in, but how you actually get the best out of him as well? Yeah. I mean, in, in the couple of games we've seen him play, 
he's definitely played as more an advanced midfielder and also to the right. I think it was against uh, Palace where it was where it was thought that, you know, I was convinced it was a Christmas tree, but I, I may be wrong. But it was quite narrow. But with Lookman and Loftus-Cheek were quite narrow. Yeah. Um, and he was definitely more responsible for the right-hand side. Um, and then against Sheffield United, he was very much on the right. You know, that was quite clearly, he was he was playing almost as a as a right winger out of possession where, you know, Cavallaro would drop back in, as we were saying earlier. But I don't think those positions necessarily suit him. Um, I don't think he's a wide player. I don't think you're going to see... I mean, he has played there. He's played on the left, he's played on the right, because what's so impressive about Loftus-Cheek and why he's held in such high regard, and you know, Roy Hodgson spoke really warmly about him before the Palace game. Uh, Frank Lampard really holds him in high regard too. Um, so, you know, he, it's because of his attributes. You know, he's very good in all areas of the game. He's, he is a sort of a complete midfielder in that sense. And I guess that sort of almost lends himself... Or puts himself in a position where he could be just put into uh, put out wide or in a role that doesn't necessarily suit him. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, for Palace that year, and and you look at what his, his record was. He played twenty one. We made twenty one starts. And of of those, he played six at right midfield and twelve at left midfield. You know, he only actually played through the middle three times from the start for Palace, which is. Which is intriguing in in many ways because you think about him and you think of Loftus Cheek and you think yeah centre midfielder right you think of him almost as a a kind of hybrid ten eight is what I've always put him down as this kind of eight that likes to carry the ball forward and and get into the ten position and then score goals it almost a kind of Stefan Johansson light or from from years back that kind of mold of player where in the championship at least he used to stride out of midfield and 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 get into goal scoring positions and score often from sort of the edge of the box that's always how I've kind of seen Loftus-Cheek but this Palace year is quite widely regarded as maybe his best year in the Premier League and he played so much of it on on the right or left of a, a four-person midfield as a very much a winger now Roy Hodgson's midfields are are quite slick in terms of they they do what they're supposed to do they play as a right midfielder not up further up the pitch is very much a a bank of four but you know he did quite a lot of damage from from those two sides and it's interesting to see how Parker tries to work that yeah I I mean in the piece I did with with Liam Toomey who's our Chelsea correspondent at the Athletic about Loftus-Cheek's move he he talked a bit about his first game of the season for Chelsea, which that was this season, uh, which was against Brighton, where he played an attacking midfield role. Yeah, and it was you know he had a terrible game, and you know he, he himself felt that he didn't play very well at all. Um, sort of you know it wasn't a surprise that he then dropped out of the team afterwards. But it's not that sort of role where he's got his back to goal doesn't suit him. He he definitely prefers to be to have the play in front of him and, and to be able to drive into into attacking positions. You know, as a number eight. Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, the fact that he did play on the right and the left and he was still able to influence games so effectively while with Palace. And it'd be interesting maybe if Parker's looking at that and going, well, he can play there. But from, from Loftus-Cheek's perspective, you know, he'll want to play centrally. He'll want to show that he can play in that number eight role and can stake a claim, um, not just for, for for Chelsea, but also for England, you know, with the Euros coming up. Uh, but then, of course, then you factor in who Fulham currently have and then where do you put a sort of driving number eight who wants to break from midfield and try and link up with 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 Fulham's attacking players? You know, I guess the the one player who's doing those sort of driving runs at the moment is is Andre Frank Anguissa. And 
his form at the moment, you, you can't take him out of the team. He's been so, he's been fantastic. Um, his all round play defensively, I think he's he's done very well, and and his ability to move the ball in the middle third into the final third just on his own um, is a real asset. And then obviously Tom Kearney's last couple of performances where he's sort of been released as a as a ten hasn't quite had to do the same amount of defensive 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 work. I mean, he has doing defensive work, but doesn't have the same defensive responsibilities. And then you have a six, really, in, in Lamina, who, as you said before, was really impressive against West Brom. And Harrison Reed is a more natural, you know, replacement or competitor for that role. So where, where does Loftus-Cheek sort of fit in into that? That's with three in midfield. So so where does he come in there? And that that's probably why we haven't seen him go straight back into the team. Um you know, when Bobby Deckard over Reed came in on the right-hand side in place of him uh, against West Brom, which, you know, I mean, that was an un- unusual position for him. And I wrote about that this week. You know, that's not a role he's always played in before, but it, it suited him better. It, it still allowed him to be an attacking threat, to drift into attacking positions and support Alexander Mitrovic. Whereas for, for Loftus-Cheek, again, that's a quite a forward role. And he's not the kind of player who wants to break in behind teams. Um, he's not really a 10 who wants to float in from the flank and and, dict play, and dictate play in that way. So, yeah, suddenly it does seem like, you know, Fulham might have an issue there. And I just I just wonder, I think, of the two, of, you know, I think you're looking at Kearney and maybe Anguissa, with the big teams to come up, with the teams they've got to play, you might want a player who can drive more and have maybe both Anguissa and Loftus-Cheek in there. Um, but then does that mean you leave Kearney out? It's... It's, it'd be really interesting to see. Now, Loftus-Cheek has played as a holding midfielder before. You know, he's done that. So maybe that's where he fits in. Do you have a more yeah. dynamic midfield? I don't know. It's, it's, it, it suddenly becomes quite, quite much more of a challenge than we expected, I think. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't see Ruben as that sort of holding defensive shield player. No. You know, I think while maybe Lamina surprised me a little bit in his ability to break a line, I, I still would probably be more comfortable with Harrison Reed there against, uh, against a team who are going to press higher and push higher and really do put that pressure on because Harrison Reed's so comfortable under that. And we saw Lamina turn out of it a couple of times against West Brom. And it's just a question of whether you can do that against the likes of a, a Man City or a, a Leicester. And, and I think you made the point there that's, that's really interesting, Peter. And, and maybe where I would have agreed with you most is in these games now where we're not going to have as much of the ball, where we're not going to be able to dictate possession as much, where we're not going to be able to force our game on other sides, is maybe having a 10 who's pushed up a little bit of a luxury. Now, look, I, I, this is not a criticism of Tom Kearney because I think he's been absolutely exceptional in, in the last, I would say, three and a half games since halftime in the in the Sheffield United game. I think that Tom Kearney has been absolutely phenomenal for Fulham. And I don't think you can drop him in, in his current vein of form. However, in a game where you're going to be pushed back a little bit and you are looking to, to hit on the break and, and play those kind of, you know, dynamic driving you know breaks out of midfield perhaps you're better with two eights in front of a six in terms of Anguissa and and Loftus-Cheek as much as you are having a 10 who dictates in the final third now I'm a Cruyffian purist and I like the idea (laughs) always of having a six and eight and a 10 on the pitch right they that that for me feels right but it depends and, and you know there are times where you have to shift things out a little bit right you have to shift your team to make sure you're playing against the side that you're that are against you. And in a game where you might be under the cosh for 80 minutes, having those players who can drive or out of midfield might be, and add that kind of physical presence in there, 
might be quite useful. And and I think it'd be an interesting one to see if Scott tries to shift the shape of the team a little bit, which might be the opportunity that Ruben Loftus-Cheek needs. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I agree. I, I, I think you're right in that, you know, I, I would, you know, we talked about Tom Kearney last week and he's not a luxury player. You know, he puts in the hard yards in that no, position. No, absolutely not. And I guess the question is what sort of role do you want in that in in those areas and you know maybe it is maybe it is better suited for two to two driving eights so but that that's 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 going to be Scott Scott's dilemma isn't it and how you fit that player in because you know Loftus Cheek will, will want to play minutes he's not come on loan to to Fulham to to sit on the bench that's that's no, not, not he could have done that Chelsea exactly um so actually getting him in becomes all the more important. So one of them is going to have to drop out potentially. But again, you know, we were talking before about the, the possibility of injuries and anything can happen at the moment with, with coronavirus as well. So I think having having that kind of selection dilemma is a massive boost for Fulham. Yeah, it's quality, isn't it? We, we spoke about it very briefly, but, you know, quality all over the park. You look at, you know, your left backs, your right backs now, there is depth. Whereas if Kenny Tete had been injured and we haven't brought Oloaine in, then you're going back to the the old school, which we know tried and tested hasn't worked so well in the Premier League. Whereas, you know, you look at what's going on now and, and you think, OK, we, we have a midfield issue. We have an, an injury to Tom Kearney. We have an injury to Frank. You end up having a, a Ruben Loftus-Cheek that comes in and, that in itself, perhaps only up front, is the only place where we don't really have that depth or, or on the right, perhaps. But, you know, those are the two positions where you don't necessarily have the depth. Everywhere else, Fulham now seem to have a depth of quality, which is going to be doubly important this season, as you say. I want to bring it on, though, to someone who you talked about there very briefly, Bobby Reed. You wrote a piece about him this week and just think that his role is has been a little bit undersung in the last couple of games because... He's come in and, and, and really given Alexander Mitrovic a bit of support. We've seen him far less isolated. You know, Tom Kenny moving forward is part of that. But also Bobby Reed drifting off that wing. And I think it's kind of, Bobby isn't always the most visually pleasing player, shall we say. He's not always a player who always makes the right decision. But I think he gives Alexander Mitrovic some support, which has been so crucial to him not looking so isolated. Yeah, he's, he's not the most glamorous player, is he? And I... You know, what's been interesting, just looking back at, at Bobby Deckard over Reed's sort of time at Fulham, you know, he's, he's he, especially under Parker in the last year, he's played all over the place. And it's, yeah. it's kind of reflective of, you know, his own position. And sort of what I, I get at in the piece is that, you know, he, he was a midfielder at Bristol City and then Lee Johnson looked at him and went, well, you know, actually you could be quite good as a centre forward. Suddenly played off the shoulder of, of Mara Je, uh, Jeju for, for, for the Robins and scores what, 21 goals in a season. So he's got that sort of attacking threat. And I think what's interesting now that he's sort of been moved to the right-hand side is at the start of the season, we were looking at, yeah, the defence. The defence was everything, wasn't it? Everyone was talking about, can we solidify at the back? But then also, where's the threat coming from in wide areas? How can you get more out of you know, Fulham's forwards from the left-hand side, from Ivan Cavallero, from Kamara, from Cabano as well? Lookman's come in and, and immediately added to that. And, and we saw that against Sheffield United. He can contribute goals. He's going to be a real threat in the final third. But then on the other side as well, and I think Jacob Overeed has offered that. You know, as you said, he he does he does sort of drift in. He's not he's not a winger per se. He's not the kind of player who's going to go up to a fullback and beat them one on one necessarily. Although he he did against West Ham, didn't he? Not made the defender and then got a shot off. Um, but that's not his natural sort of his natural game. But he's able to get into positions in and around Mitrovic. He's able to pick up those second balls. It's another option in the box for the deliveries from out wide. And Ola Ain has got the legs to to cover the whole of the right hand side, and he's been doing that more regularly, more more frequently, and 
Um, he seems to be getting sharper with every game too, Olerena. He, he, I think those first couple of games, he looked a little bit rusty, trying to get up to the speed of speed of the of the Premier League. I think he mentioned that actually in his program notes before the West Brom game about the tempo difference and actually having to make your decisions quicker. Uh, and he seems to be adapting slowly to that. And and having Declan Overeem in there, who's, who works so hard, has the yeah. you know, and having that understanding of playing in central midfield, he's played on the left, which he did a lot last season. It means he can be so versatile and he's a great option to have. And as we were saying, he's a goal threat. Um, yeah. He scored three goals. He should have four. He missed, he missed that sitter against West Brom. Probably handball, but that's another debate for another time. Um, but he, you know, he, having that threat, having another goal-scoring option is something that we were all pretty concerned about, I think, coming into the season. You know, re- the reliance on Mitrovic is obvious. Um, yeah. But actually spreading those goals out, having other contributors, as well as Tom Kearney too, who, who, who contributes. Um, it's so important and you know I mean Deckard Overeed I mean he played in the Premier League with Cardiff didn't he and it didn't quite work he ne- it was a difficult se- season for them but I think now also, he never really massively fitted that kind of attritional style they pushed no. him all over the place and you know on top of that, I've always called him a Swiss army knife, Bobby Reed, right? That's that's how I've always referred to him because of how versatile he is in a number of positions. And he can take a penalty as per Sammy's article, yes, he can. Uh, which is which is useful. But, you know, having someone who can slot in in all of those different positions is, is a manager's dream, right? Because, you know, if he whether he's starting or on the bench and, you know, you, you have an injury or you need to take someone off, you just shift Bobby Reed around and he just naturally floats into almost any position you ask of him. And I, I really do think he's a, a very, very useful pick for Scott Parker in in trying to make this Fulham side tick and I just think the the marked improvement in in Alexander Mitrovic's game having other players around him has been has been remarkable and, and we saw him so isolated in those first couple of games and it just becomes you see the weight of the world start to hit on his shoulders right and I think we saw the, the we bore the frustrations of that in the Sheffield United game with the penalty and with the with the missed headers at the end of that game, that it became this kind of, oh no, the world is on Alexander Mitrovic. And as soon as there's other players around him, you mentioned obviously Lookman, but Reed and Kearney as well, you're starting to see, and, and the West Brom game, I, saw, I thought saw the best of him because you know we, we're getting assists. It wasn't even him being on the score sheet, but just him being aware enough to be like, oh, that player's there, I can lay that off. That player's here, I can I can dig that off and, and, and try and get him behind. And seeing Tom Kearney lead the press is, is another bit of clever Parker play, but I just just been impressed with Bobby Reed, and I think that it's worth giving him some some praise. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think as as Parker himself said, you know, it's sort of reflective of his his mentality and his character that he's willing to take these positions and and really make them his own. Um, and as you say, it's getting the best out of, of Mitrovic, who you know has there's definitely a you know responsibility on him, and you know you don't want to over egg that too much. You want to sort of share the load a little bit, and and having players like Bobby uh, in and around there and and, and Offering a threat is, you know, is a, is a massive help. Absolutely. Right. We will be finishing this show in the third part where we talk a little bit about Fulham's international stars. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with Mr. Peter Rutzler. Hello. And me, Jack Collins. We're going to talk a little bit about the internationals, Peter, and a couple of lads on duty. Um, it's, it's a bit of a strange international break, and I think there's a plenty of people who are a bit confused as to why there's international football going on at all, given the state of the world and given the fact that everybody seems to come back from it in a worse place than they were before. But it's here, so we may as well talk about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they've got to squeeze all these games in, especially the Euro 2021 playoffs. Um, you know, Alexander Mitrovic with Serbia against, against Scotland. This will have gone out by the time 
Uh, the game will be over by the time you hear this. So, <laughs> so we, we, we don't know, but you will know if Alexander Mitrovic has broken Scottish hearts or not. But he's uh, he's one of only a few players uh, in action. Uh, the the other two in action tonight probably are are two American contingent, Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream. Now, whether Tim Ream starts or not is, is probably a slightly different question. You'd imagine that uh, Chris Richards and, and John Brooks probably start for America, but he's a bit of an old head now in, in a very young US side, a young, very exciting US side. And, and Anthony Robinson is very much part of that. And I was talking to someone the other day, Jason Davis, uh, on an American football podcast about how important it is to have kind of old generals in there, even if they're not playing. And Tim Ream is, is going to be so crucial for Holter in, in trying to shape this new side and trying to get them back to, to where they want to be. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, it'd be very important for what is a a young United States team with a lot of really exciting talent. You know, Christian Pulisic has put out the squad, but, you know, like Weston McKenney and obviously Anthony Robinson himself. And it's a role that, you know, he'd want to play for Fulham as well. And it's it's one that's very, very important to have those experienced heads who've been there before, can see the signs, knows, 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 knows the direction that the team's going in. Uh, same with Tom Kearney and that team as well. And, and, and Alexander Mitrovic and that, that, that's what you need to have that right balance. Um, and the United States squad is a really exciting one, isn't it? You know, uh, and Anthony Robinson himself has been eager to, to cement his place in that. Uh, I spoke to him earlier in the season uh, after the Sheffield Wednesday game, I think. Um, and he was talking about how exciting that team actually is. And, you know, he's now got a chance to, to link up with them. And that's one of the benefits, you know, when you do have a young team like that, you want to be getting minutes under your belt. You want to get build up that team cohesion and get these players playing together when they are quite disparate. You know, they're playing across Europe, across the world as well. Um, and this is an opportunity to get those players together and and, and to build on that. Um, and for Anthony Robinson, you know, it's it's been, it's nice to see him stepping up and, and performing so well for Fulham now and, and getting that international recognition, of course. But, you know, after the year he's had, everything he's been through from from Milan in January to, to Wigan, um, to now really sort of, establishing himself at Fulham and stepping into the Premier League, which is a difficult challenge. You know, I think, you know, he was sort of, he was slowly worked into it. He talked about how he actually found it very difficult. And in those first few training sessions at Fulham, he didn't feel like he was giving himself a, a fair representation. And, you know, he, he was wondering what his teammates must have thought of him in those Because he just struggled to, to make that, adapt, that, that step up, that, that adaptation. And because, you know, there's so many different things when you're moving you know, when you move as a when, as a player, you know, there's how you move your stuff, your family, um, you're living in a hotel. It's not easy, but then you're expected to perform from day one. So yeah, yeah. Um, from his side, you know, he's he stepped up. He's, he's played in those Carabao Cup games and now obviously moved into the Premier League and he's really showing his, his ability. And that was such an interesting period for him, you know, and a really worrying one as well, because obviously the Milan medical, he failed it because of a heart problem. And of course, once that fell through, it wasn't just a case of going back to Wigan. Uh, after the move fell through, it was <laughs> you have to think right. I need to find out what's wrong with me here, and whether can I is this going to affect my career? Um, and you know, as, as it as it transpired, that was because of because of caffeine, because of caffeine shots, um, and the fact that there was lockdown. While that actually stopped him having surgery, having an operation, it allowed the, the sensitivity to clear and the problem to to disappear. So really difficult but intriguing year for him and. Um, now he's, sang, he's finally settled and can actually focus on playing at the top level, which he quite clearly deserves to be playing at. Yeah, I also think it's, it's an interesting one for him because obviously Serginio Dest is, has been the right back, but has played quite a lot of left back now for, for Barcelona in, in the absence of Jordi Alba and did brilliant there in the Classico. And then 
you look at someone like Reggie Cannon, who's come across from from FC Dallas to, you know, to and he's now playing playing straight at Boa Vista. The the move to Lille seems to be on. They're obviously owned by the same people, Lille and Boa Vista. So that's part of a, an ongoing strategy to get him into a, you know a Champions or Europa League side in Lille. So there, there's going to be competition there, and for him to then be playing. You know, week in, week out of Fulham is is a crucial thing for his development and for him to cement his place in the national team, which is important. We've got a couple of lads uh, in AFCON qualifiers, probably the the biggest place where there are players from the actual first team in. Olaina obviously has qualifiers against Sierra Leone um, this week, and and Frank Anguissa playing against Mozambique in the twelfth and sixteenth, and. You know, Niskan's got a couple of games against Angola, so there's those. But maybe the most interesting pair pairing going off is the aforementioned Bobby Reed uh, going off with Michael Hector to play for Jamaica against Saudi Arabia, and you know, a nice one for them, and and some time for for Michael Hector to get minutes under his belt, which is important as well. Yeah, no, it was nice to see uh, Michael Hector back in the squad um, for the West Ham game. So, and, and you know, Parker himself spoke about you know trying to step away and and, and work hard and get back into get, get your head right and get back into the get back into the into the squad so um it's a good opportunity now for him to to get some minutes again and, and to to force his way back into the forefront of, of his manager's thinking which he looks like he's he's on his way to to doing um obviously Mike Rodak's got an important game as well for Slovakia uh by the time we've uh we finished recording uh, against Northern Ireland he was it depends he was, if he plays or not eh? it does depend it's... if he plays he was so he, he made brilliant saves in the, the shootout against Ireland didn't he so against Tonight, Brown. It was it was quite heartbreaking, but we'll uh, we'll live with it nonetheless. <laughs> um, and and on that note, we uh, we wish all of our international players the the best of luck. We hope that they come back safe and sound and not injured and COVID free, and and that everything is is all back in place for the time when we play Everton in a couple of weeks. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very very much to Peter Rutzler. Oh, thank you, Jack. What's good fun indeed. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish Podcast in partnership with The Athletic. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week, gang. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. Peace.